the privilege to be here today. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to the book of First John, First John chapter number 4, and a very familiar text of Scripture, but I trust the familiarity of the text will not hinder us from hearing from the Lord today. And as you're finding your place, of course, our nation is celebrating love today, Valentine's Day. And so I say happy Valentine's Day to all the sweethearts out there. Uh, But I was reminded of a story I heard some years ago. Uh, There was an older man and his wife, they were getting ready for church. And he was looking in the mirror and trying to tie his necktie. And he got to noticing as he was looking in the mirror that time had made a change in him. And uh, he got to noticing some differences in his appearance. And he called out to his wife and said, honey, come here. I want you to see this. He said, I'm I'm going plum bald. Can you believe that? Honey, I've gained so much weight. I've got plum fat. He said, Lord, have mercy, honey. I'm just getting old. She said, well, at least you can still see good. So (laughs) some of y'all get that tomorrow about lunchtime. But I'll leave that alone. But I appreciate the Lord's mercy and the privilege it is to stop by here on my way to heaven. Let's stand if you're able. You may not be accustomed to do that. But I just want to reverence the reading of the word of the Lord and give you an opportunity to wiggle your toes and stretch your legs. Look together this morning, First John chapter 4, verse 19. Interested in that one verse. And I want to use this verse this morning as a springboard to launch us into our text, into the message But I do ask you to leave your Bibles open. We will be looking at some different verses in this chapter in order to develop the thought the Lord's placed upon our heart. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love Him because He first loved us. We love Him because He first loved us. I felt it would be appropriate today as America is celebrating love For us to speak for just a few moments on the greatest love ever spoken by mortal tongue. If the Lord help me, I want to preach on the love of God. Father, we are grateful for your blessings upon our life. We thank you for Pastor Mitchell and Lord and his precious people, the warm welcome, the hospitality that's already been displayed. Lord, we thank you this morning for Calvary. Thank you for your will. Thank you for the privilege it is to stand this morning and preach the word of God. Ask you now to forgive me of all my sin. Help me, Lord, to uh, complete the task that is at hand. I cannot do this without you. Lord, I am quite nervous, no doubt about that. But, Lord, I thank you for my calling and my commission. Help me, Lord, to do the will of God. I pray that you'd help us, anoint us as only can, do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We give you all the praise and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Out of all the love stories that have been pinned down throughout human history, every one of them are unique and beautiful in their own way. But out of all these love stories, none of them can come close to comparing to the beautiful love story of how God loves humanity. No doubt it is by far the greatest story that has ever been spoken by a mortal tongue. For God so loved the world. As the songwriter declared, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that God should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. And this biblical truth that God loves humanity, it is one that reaches beyond the scope of human understanding. For God so loved the world. 
Now, as we look into the Word of God, we find the evidence for God's love for humanity. As you read through the epistles of John, you'll find oftentimes that John uses or mentions this principle of God's love. In the five chapters of 1 John, he uses the word love itself 23 separate times. In the 13 verses of 2 John, he uses the word love itself four times. In the 14 verses of 3 John, he uses the word love one time. But one thing that was so interesting to me is when you look in our text chapter, 1 John chapter number 4, in the 21 verses of this chapter, John uses the word love in some form, some 27 different times. In 21 verses, John in some form uses the word love. If something is repeated that often, you and I are to pay close attention to it. You may say, preacher, well, that's good, that's wonderful, but what exactly is love? What exactly is a biblical definition of love? If you'll notice in our text chapter, both in verse 8 and in verse 16, the Bible declares that God is love. Not only is love an attribute of the God that we serve, but God is the very definition of what love is. God is the essence of love. God is the power of love. God is the very passion of love. That the character of God exemplifies the true definition of love. When we have an understanding that the character of God is the definition of love, that does away with the hippie definition of love. Does away with a sodomite definition of love. It does away with that worldly and that carnal and that lustful definition of love. Because God is love. And when someone is lost and undone without God. They know no love. Because they have no love. And they have not the capacity to love. Because God is love. But on the other hand, when someone has been born again and forgiven of all their sins, they know love because they have love. Love lives within them and they have the capacity to love others because God is love. And I say amen to that. But as we look in 1 John chapter 4 this morning, there are three principles concerning the love of God that I want to point out very briefly. I'll give you these three things concerning the love of God that I'll take my seat and we'll all go to the house and all on a chicken leg. All the skinny people say amen. First of all, I want you to notice that the love of God protects us from Satan. It protects us from Satan. If you'll notice in the first six verses of this chapter, John writes about trying the spirits and seeing if they are of God. He writes and gives us a warning concerning false prophets. He writes and gives us a warning concerning the spirit of Antichrist that is now permeating the world in which we live in. In essence, John is writing about the people of God having Holy Ghost discernment and being able to determine what is of God and what is not of God. Pastor Mitchell, if there's one thing that I see that is lacking in our Baptist churches all across America is the lack of God's people who have a good dose of good old-fashioned Holy Ghost discernment. 
Are you aware that not everything that says it is of God is truly of God? Not everything that is labeled itself with the heading or the title of Christian is truly Christian in its theology. And you and I are to be deep enough in the Word of God and mature enough in our relationship with Christ and have a close enough relationship to the Lord and sensitive enough to the Holy Ghost that we could be able to discern what is of God and what is not of God. One old preacher I heard years ago was describing the difference between wisdom and discernment. And he said that wisdom is the difference between knowing what is right and what is wrong, but discernment is being able to know what is right between what is almost right. And there's a lot of things that seem almost right. They have enough truth sprinkled in them that it may seem right to an immature Christian. But to a seasoned Christian, we should be able to determine and discern what is right between what is almost right. You say, preacher, what does that have to do with the love of God and God protecting us from Satan? God has put the Holy Ghost in us uh, not only to comfort us, but as a defensive mechanism to protect us from the powers of the wicked one. God guides us through His Word, and God guards us through His Spirit. And one of the attributes of the ministry of the Holy Ghost is to detect error and to declare the truth of God's Word. Have you ever been in a situation where something inside of you was very uneasy, something was very uncomfortable on the inside of you, something about this person or something about this situation just did not seem right at all. What was that? That was the Holy Ghost that had detected error, that was declaring the truth of God's Word, letting you know even though you could not see it with the naked eye, there was something wrong and He was encouraging you to get as far away from the situation as possible and God has placed this defensive mechanism in us to protect us all because that he loves us it's the same concept of what you parents and grandparents do with your children I mean you do everything in your power to guide their life in the right direction and protect them from all harm because you love them and you want the best for them I illustrate this way I was in second grade. I was in Mrs. Hancock's class in second grade. And at that time, by no means was I the most popular kid in second grade. I was the short, chubby kid, and I was not the best runner. I was not the most athletic, was not the most handsome, and I was very quiet and reserved and to myself, kind of a loner and sit in the back of the classroom and just minded my own business. But there was a, there was a boy in my class, and for live stream's sake, we'll just say his name's Billy. And uh, Billy was the man. Anybody ever known a Billy? I mean, Billy was the man. He was taller than everybody else. He was better looking than all, than all the other guys. He was the fastest runner in the class. He was the most athletic. I mean, all the boys wanted to be like Billy, and all the girls wanted to be Billy's girlfriend. I mean, Billy was the man. And one day Billy passed by my desk and he invited me to start hanging out with him and his friends on the playground. He invited me to be one of his buddies, one of his friends. Of course, I gladly accepted this 
great invitation. And I knew in my mind that great things laid in store for me for the future because now I was a part of the cool kids in class. I was hanging out with Billy. I was the most uh, uh, important guy in class, I seemed to think, that day. And Billy and I began to hang out, and we began to be pretty good friends. But Billy began to be quite mischievous and began to get in some trouble. And his parents found out about it, and they disciplined Billy, and they chastised him and tried to counsel him and send his life in the right direction. The school found out about it and they began to discipline Billy and began to chastise him and give him some counsel and point his life on the right direction. But the more they disciplined him and the more they counseled him, the more Billy would rebel against the authority figures in his life. And Billy, even at, in second grade, began to make choices to go down the wrong pathway in life. My parents found out about that and they set me down one evening and they began to explain to me that they knew that Billy was uh, my friend and that we hung out and we were buddies. But Billy was making some foolish decisions and Billy was going down the wrong road in life and they knew if I continued to hang out with him... His bad habits would probably rub off on me and I could wind up going down the wrong road in life. And so they strongly encouraged me to break fellowship with Billy. So I heeded my parents' counsel. If I didn't, that would beat the devil out of me. Can I get witness there? And I broke fellowship with Billy and I was never his best friend again. We were acquaintances. But even up through high school, he began to get involved in drugs and alcohol and uh, just living wildly and freely and very sinful and wicked lifestyle. And I stand before you this morning and I do not say this with any sense of uh, pride or any sense of rejoicing, but yet in brokenness and humility, but Billy continued to go down that wrong road. Billy's life this morning is in wreck and it's in ruins. And as I'm preaching to you this morning, he's probably trying to shake off all that he was involved in last evening. And he's involved in drugs and alcohol and uh, living a very wicked lifestyle, shacked up with a woman and multiple children from multiple women. And he just needs a good dose of salvation. Just needs to be real good and saved by the grace of God. But I look at the scars and the that his life is in and you realize I could very well be in that same situation but I had a mom and dad that loved me enough to set me down and say son this is not the direction you need to go in this is not the direction God has for your life and they counseled me away from the wrong direction and I stand before you this morning as far as I know in God's perfect will all because my parents loved me enough to point me in the right direction how much more does God our heavenly father love his children how much more is God concerned about your future and the well-being of your family and God has given us his word and God has put the Holy Ghost in us that are saved and God gives us a fire breathing preacher to give us what thus saith the Lord and he does that to build hedges around our life to guard us and protect us from sin and ourself and the powers of Satan and he does that because he 
He loves us. I don't know about y'all, but I'm sick up to here with this manby-pamby, Mickey Mouse, lovey-dovey, coexist religion in our culture. Where they just want to hug up with everything and love on everything and just fellowship with everything. But the love that God teaches us about in His Word does not lead us into sin. It leads us away from sin. The love of God does not lead us into doctrinal error. But it leads us into the all truth of God's Word. It leads us away from a life of brokenness into a life of holiness and service and humility. And God puts those hedges around us and gives us Holy Ghost discernment to protect us from the enemy. Why? All because that he loves us. Not only does the love of God protect us from Satan, but secondly, the love of God has provided salvation. If you'll notice in your Bible in verse 9, the Bible teaches us that the love of God has been manifested to the world through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number 10, the Bible teaches us that God gave His Son to be the propitiation or the payment for our sins. In essence, when we could not get to God, God came to us and made a way for us to be saved by His amazing grace. Many years ago, there was... a a man and his son, they had some septic tank issues. And so they had to uncover the, the pipe running from the house. And they had uncovered and dug up the septic tank. And they were having to replace the line running from the house into the septic tank. They had the septic tank uncovered. And they were down there working with the pipes and the fittings. And that little boy was completely unaware that his puppy was, got out of the pen and was rolling, roaming freely in the yard. And that little puppy got up on that mound of dirt, just curious, you know, and that mound of dirt cave, gave, cave in and gave way, and that puppy fell right down in that septic tank, fell right down in the midst of all that sewage and all that waste and all that nastiness. And that puppy, recognizing it was drowning and it wasn't going to make it long, began to whimper and began to cry out as dogs would do in that situation. And that little boy heard the whimpers of his puppy, and he looked over into that septic tank and saw that his puppy was drowning in that sewage. And he said, Daddy, what are we going to do? And the daddy said, Son, if you want him, you've got to go get him. And that little boy took a ladder and stuck it right down in that sewage and waded in all that filth and reached out and grabbed that puppy and brought him up out of there and cleaned him up and set him free in the yard. And he realized before the foundation of this world was ever laid... God the Father and God the Son looked over the battlements of heaven and saw all humanity drowning in the septic tank of sin. That we were all drowning in our self-righteousness. We were all drowning in the filth and the ungodliness and the wickedness of who we are. There was no debate. They did not have to search all over heaven because there was only one worthy to be heaven's lamb. There was only one worthy to be the sacrifice for man's sins. God the Father said, Son, if you want them, you've got to go get them. 
And Jesus Christ left the splendors of the glory world. Tiptoed down that starry staircase from heaven. Wrapped himself in a robe of flesh and dwelled in this cesspool of sin that we call earth. And he lived a perfect life. And there on the cross of Calvary, he built a bridge of grace through his own body and his own blood. And through his sacrifice made a way for all mankind to be redeemed by his amazing grace. That when we could not get to God, when we could not save ourselves, when we could not be good enough, God came to us and made a way for us to get to God that we may be with him for all time and eternity. You look in the word of God and I'm not a scholar by any means, but there are multiple words in the Greek language that define our one English word for love. But in order to describe his love for humanity, God the Holy Ghost created a whole other word. That is the word agape, or some would say agapa, found over a hundred times in the word of God. And it is defined as a selfless love. It is defined as an unconditional and sacrificial love. It is a love that spans from everlasting to everlasting. And it is by far the greatest love of all. John said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Uh, that Christ, the friend of sinners, uh, gave his life that we may be redeemed by his precious blood. In my generation, the millennial generation, and even Generation Z, they have such a messed up and misconceived idea of what true love really is. My generation feels that love is some kind of starry eyes, butterflies in your stomach, fireworks in the sky emotion. And I say, maybe you can ask Miss Anna after the service, but I say with love, there may be some form of emotion that comes along with that, I believe. But true love is not an emotion at all. True love is an action. And we of the true love, and with the action of love, there is a choice. And with the choice of love, there is a great sacrifice. And God did not send humanity an email. God did not send humanity a Valentine's Day card and say, I love you. But He clearly demonstrated His love on the cross of Calvary. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life if you don't know Jesus Christ and the free pardon of sin oh you don't know realize what you're missing out on it's the greatest love you could ever experience it's the greatest life you could ever live there's nothing better than living for the Lord Jesus thank God he loved us enough to bring salvation But not only does the love of God protect us from Satan and has provided salvation. But thirdly, and everybody said, thank God, he's almost done. The love of God pardons all sin. Notice in your Bible in verse 17, John mentions the day of judgment. The day of judgment is something that you don't hear much preaching about in our generation. A lot of preachers have a tendency to stay away from the day of judgment, but it's just as important, it's just a Bible truth as John 3.16 is in your Bible. And I don't know about you, but when you think about the day of judgment, there's a fear, there's a reverence that grips my soul. That every one of us, saved or lost, 
will one day stand before God in judgment. Of course, lost people at the great white throne judgment, saved people, we will stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. But we will all stand before the Lord one day in judgment. And I'm not talking about standing before Santa Claus. I'm not talking about standing before the president. I'm not talking about standing before Father Time. But we will stand before a thrice holy God in all of His majesty, in all of His glory, in all of His power in the day of judgment. And I don't know about y'all, but that scares me to death. The world that we live in, they live with no sense of consequence. They can do anything they want to do without any repercussions. But we do reap what we sow. There are consequences for our choices. And we will stand before God. But John gives us a ray of hope that are saved. Because he mentions in verse 17 that for us that are saved, when the day of judgment comes, we can stand before God in boldness. Now, this boldness does not mean pride or arrogance at all, but it simply means assurance. It means a confidence that when we stand before God as saved people on the day of judgment, yes, we will give an account for our, our works and we will give an account for our time and our talents and our treasures and what we did and did not do for Christ. But there will be no debate where we will spend eternity. There will be no debate on that day for saved folk of whether they will be with the Lord in heaven for eternity or not. For that has been settled a long time ago because Jesus took our place. And the reason we can stand before God, a thrice holy God, on the day of judgment with assurance and confidence and boldness, it's not of anything of our own merit. But it's because of what Christ has did for us that we have been forgiven. We have been pardoned of all of our sin. I guess it was well over a hundred years ago now. In the deep south there was a little small rural community. And they had a little small one room schoolhouse. And as the students gathered to begin the school year. The teacher got all the kids together and they started making up the the rules for the class rules for that year. And with every rule that they made, they would assign a punishment, a form of chastisement, discipline for if you were to break this rule, this would be your punishment for breaking that rule. One of those rules was you shouldn't take anything that was not your own, that you shouldn't steal. They deemed that uh, a worthy discipline or chastisement for stealing would be ten licks with the paddle, in front of the entire class. Now, wouldn't America be a different place if we could do that again? Teachers would be quite busy, though. I do have to say that. <clears throat> but there was a, a young man in the, the class, the student body there, that was extremely poor. His family was very poverty-stricken. The young man didn't have anything at all. And every day he would wear this worn-out, holy old wool overcoat, real long overcoat that had stains and holes all in it, had holes in his shoes and always had a little dirt on his face. His hair was never fixed right and didn't have good hygiene, smelled a little bit. And all the kids made fun of him and he was kind of a loner and sitting in the back of the class by himself. And that little boy didn't have anything to eat at home and he got quite hungry. And, and he didn't want to, but he reached over into one of his classmates' lunch pails and he stole an apple because the hunger pains were just too severe. 
They stole that apple and lunchtime came and that little boy looked in his lunch pail and recognized that his apple was missing. He told the teacher and the teacher, after a brief investigation, found out that it was this poverty-stricken young man that stole the apple as she confronted him. He very quickly confessed that he was guilty. The hunger pains were more than he could bear. He just needed something on his tummy, just needed something to eat, and he was sorry. And she didn't want to carry out the judgment. She did not want to carry out this act of discipline. But she knew that she had to abide by the word that she had established. And so she said, you know the repercussions. He said, I do. I'm guilty. And she stood him before the classroom and she said, well, I've got to give you these ten licks with a paddle. But you've got to take off that heavy wool coat before I can spank you. And that little boy began to unbutton that raggedy old wool coat. And it was very obvious as he began to unbutton that he didn't have anything on underneath it. That he was so poor he didn't have any clothes to wear. All he had was those holy old shoes and that worn out old wool coat. Seeing the shame and the embarrassment on his face. There was a hush fell over the school that day. And the little boy that... Had his apple stolen. He raised his hand and got the teacher's attention. He said, teacher, he said, uh, I know that he's guilty. I know that he stole my apple. He said, but I was just wondering if you would spank me instead of spanking him. I wonder, teacher, if you would, uh, would you discipline me instead of disciplining him? I wonder, teacher, if you would let me take his place. Friend, that's exactly where you and I stood before God. We stood in the courtroom of eternity and nothing but the rags of our self-righteousness. On our best day, there is nothing good about you and I. On our best day, our righteousness is filthy rags that deserve to be piled up and thrown in the trash. We stood before a thrice holy God in all of His majesty, in all of His glory, in all of His honor. And we were guilty of breaking the law of God. And we were destined to spend eternity in an awful place called hell because of our sin and rebellion against God. We were guilty. But our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, stepped into the classroom, stepped into the courtroom and said, Father, would you let me take their place? I'll take their punishment. I'll take their shame. I'll take their hell. I'll face their penalty that they may be forgiven. There on the cross of Calvary, Oh, that's how much we see, how much God hates the sin. And you look at Calvary and the brutality of Calvary. It was more than some little picture you find down at the flea market of some 90-pound hippie uh, with long hair and a few drops of blood sprinkled on his torso. That's not Calvary at all. But Christ was literally a human body turned inside out, beaten beyond recognition for your sin and mine and the sin of the world and when you look at the brutality of Calvary and all that Christ went through that's how much God hates sin because the wrath and the judgment of God was poured out upon Christ but when you look at the brutality of Calvary it also displays how much God loves the sinner it displays how much he loves you and I in all of our sin and all of our rebellion all the times we've broken the heart 
of God. All the times we have disappointed God because we were not what He expected us to be. He looked down through the annals of time and declared, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And now because of Calvary and because of the empty tomb and because of grace and mercy and the blood, we that are saved can stand before God on the day of judgment. And it will not be up for debate where we'll spend eternity. But we can stand before Him with assurance because we have been pardoned because of His love for us. As we celebrate love in our nation today, there's no greater love than the love that God has displayed to you and I. And I'll throw this in for good measure in verse 20 and 21. If you love God, you're supposed to love your brother. Isn't it amazing how that we love that mercy and we love that grace and that forgiveness when it's dealing with us and our family, but yet we are quick to judge those that are not in our immediate family. We love that mercy and we can rejoice in that pardon and that forgiveness when it's us. But if it's another brother or sister in Christ, we're quick to get on social media and assassinate their Christian character. Galatians 6 teaches us that if we see a brother overtaken in a fault, if we are spiritual, we will restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering ourselves, lest we also be tempted. If we enjoy the forgiveness of God upon our life, we should be quick to love and forgive those who trespass against us. That's just part of being a good Christian. But God loves us so much that He protects us from Satan. He loves us so much He has provided salvation. He loves us so much He pardons all of our sin. That amazes me, doesn't it, you? I close with this illustration Many years ago, there was a young preacher boy that was holding a revival meeting, a youth-type meeting. And uh, the, the pastor, older man, came, picked him up at the hotel. And they were going to go get some supper. And was driving down the road, and it was kind of quiet. Kind of awkward for that young preacher. Just trying to strike up a conversation. That young preacher boy looked over at that older preacher and said, I sure do love the Lord, don't you, preacher? The old preacher said, well, son, I don't, I don't really know if I love the Lord the way I'm supposed to or not. The young preacher said, what? I don't understand. He said, well, son, the Bible teaches us that if you love me, keep my commandments. And I don't always do that. I'm not always obedient to the commandments of God. So I don't know if I love the Lord the way I'm supposed to or not. He said, son, why don't you, instead of spending your life going around telling everybody how much you love the Lord... Why don't you spend your life going around telling everybody how much the Lord loves you? I believe if we're going to be effective in this dispensation, it's not you and I going around popping our suspenders and being arrogant and telling everybody how much we love the Lord because we're a Baptist. Because if we truly do, we don't have to say anything the world's going to take notice. But it'd do us well just to go around telling everybody how much the Lord loves them. Because it is by far the greatest love story ever told. For God so loved the world. Thank you for your attention. Let's stand together. Musicians come. Play a song of invitation. Father, we are grateful that you love us. Lord, I believe these precious people love the Lord today. But we love you because you first loved us. Help us, Lord, to love you like we've never loved you before. 
Help us to serve, not out of fear, but out of love. If there's one today that's lost and undone without Christ, may they be born again before it's everlasting too late. Lord, would you grip their heart and let them see how much you love them. Lord, those that are struggling with depression or struggling with doubt and fear and anxiety and all kind of problems that permeate the human mind and body, may we catch a fresh glimpse of Calvary today and be reminded how much you love us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.